it's the Germans who produce the first error. Bremer allows Vilfort to rob him. And Poulsen is set free with an impotent back heel. Poulsen's pullback is perfection. John Jensen's blistering shot puts Denmark ahead. Was a bit overconfident. Yes! Jensen! John Jensen has finally got one right! And Denmark has struck first in the 19th minute. Oh, and Christensen kicked out then. This is Phil Ford! Oh, it's in! It is in! And it's Kim Vilfort! Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the teams of our lives with myself and Andy Brassel. Andy, how are you? I'm good. All the better for you, including a lovely flourish on the title of the series at the top of the pod there. Damn right, baby girl. Damn right. Andy, today <laughs> we have got, I think this is our first international team of teams of our lives. Is it? I think so. Wow. I think I'm right wow. in saying that. If I've if, if we've done one before, everybody, then uh, I don't apologise because my memory isn't perfect. But I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> uh, and if it isn't, then uh, then as I say, give me a bit of grace for crying out loud today. Without further ado, we are talking about the European Championship winning team of Denmark in 1992. People were thinking, oh, is it, is it Greece? No, it's not Greece, it's Denmark. It's uh, Richard Muller-Nielsen's side uh, who secured one of the most unlikely victories at an international tournament in the history of football, damn it all. Wasn't it just? And, of course, uh, we have to recap at the start for those who are unaware or have even shorter memory than you, Marcus. <laughs> the, the remarkable thing about yeah. Denmark winning Euro 92 is they didn't qualify yeah. for it. It was um, a bit of a Jeremy Corbyn winning the Labour leadership race. He wasn't actually in the running, <laughs> and, then he t- and then he managed to win it, and everyone was like, do you know what, Andy? I know someone, he's more of a friend of a friend, but I have met him, who, who, who lumped quite a bit of money on uh, Corbyn winning the Labour leadership race when he wasn't in the runnings because he heard that... Corbyn was going to go in for it and it would be opened up to him. So basically betting on a candidate who's not in the runnings, he got quite handsome odds and uh, he um, <laughs> he won a, uh, a deposit for a property out of that. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody bet on Denmark ahead of Euro 92 when they hadn't qualified for the tournament, uh, my goodness, what the winnings would have been. Yeah, if, if, it feels to me that like the logical next step of that was betting on Jeremy Corbyn to become Prime Minister, which wouldn't have been money well spent. No, it wouldn't have done. <laughs> but the, the Denmark story is is, is remarkable mm. because, um, yeah, they didn't qualify for Euro 92, uh, not by a lot. Uh, they had a quite fractious qualifying campaign yeah. in which uh, Muller-Nielsen fell out with both Laudrup brothers who both quit international football off the back of it. Um, yeah. Michael and Brian and um, they despite being in a group with a very very good Yugoslavia side at the time finished second mm-hmm. accordingly to that Yugoslavia just one point behind <laughs> now them. that's right uh, and, and they beat them in, 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 the, in the second game between the two mm. as well in, in, in the qualifiers but um, they didn't qualify uh, however um, UEFA were keeping an eye on what was happening um, 
politically in Yugoslavia and because Yugoslavia was to all intents and purposes um, at civil war, they were removed from the tournament for that reason. Now, of course, this was a time when there was a lot of political upheaval uh, uh, happening in Europe. You think of um, the fall of the Iron Curtain around that time. At this point, you've still got the CIS competing in mm. in, in European football, the Commonwealth of Ind- Independent States, the ones that used to be mm. the Soviet Union. Well, Andy, the Soviet Union actually qualified for the tournament, but they had a rebrand in between times. So they exactly. qualified as the That's Soviet it. Union then, and then entered the tournament as the CIS. That's it. And, and of course, they were finalists in um, 1988. And we'll come to 88 finalists again a, a bit later in this discussion. <laughs> um, but the 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 story always goes that um Denmark were on the beach and uh called at a moment's notice mm-hmm. to um well it was actually 10 days notice yeah. to take part in 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 Euro 92 which they did i mean it does kind of underrate a few key factors <laughs> ab- about Denmark why they were good and why they were able to yeah. compete in this tournament i mean this is not for example, I think we have to bear the times in mind, bear the fact in mind that the European Championship was much smaller then. So this was a tournament undertaken between eight teams that was 16 days long. This wasn't, you know, sort of being 10 pints down and told you're being thrown into a 24-team European Championship mm. as, as, as you would be nowadays. Of course, players wouldn't be 10 pints down on holiday. There's a bit of a um, myth, though. In this day and age, either. There's a bit of a myth about that they were on the beach because they were playing international friendlies at the time and they were preparing for a match against the CIS. The CIS, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So this idea, I mean, I know, you know, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. The, the thought of them being literally on the beach, I mean, presumably that wouldn't be in Denmark, although I've never really sample the beaches in Denmark but you know you can go to the beach in Copenhagen but it is quite cold yeah oh I mean it's uh, uh you know it's an archipelago Denmark you know it's quite an, in- yeah. an incredible if you ever fly over it is it is quite the sight um but but so they were they were aware of the conversations of course they were aware of the, the um the uh, situation that was developing in uh, now what we call the former Yugoslavia so it there were conversations between players and some were thinking, oh, I don't think we'll get called up and, and others thought, well, hang on, let's... But I, I suppose, though, no matter how much one prepares or dismisses it, it's still a little bit of a shock to the system and a, uh, and, uh, and, and a bit of a shake-up when you're suddenly told, right, lads, you're up, you're playing in a tournament that you didn't qualify for. Yeah, and they, they, they weren't the favourites. There's no getting away from that. Um, they were um, a little bit undercooked. Um, they were... Of course, still doing without Michael Laudrup. By this time, Brian had patched it up with Merlin Nielsen, but he missed a lot of the previous season with a knee injury and he didn't have a lot of match practice. And by his own admission, he's spoken about it since and he, he felt a bit... He felt a bit creaky at various points during during the tournament, is, is fair to say. And the conditioning definitely affected the way that, that Denmark played in a way mm. that kind of predates some of the other sides you were well you're talking about Greece at the the top and how they sort of set a defensive template for how to win a major championship mm. when you're an underdog and then you look at Portugal in 
2016. You look at the way that France played in the 2018 World Cup and the way that we assume that you are to play after an incredibly taxing season to win a major summer championship now, an international championship, the sense is that you do have to play within yourself because the the, 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 the players are so knackered. Who knows? Maybe it bodes well for England going forward to, <laughs> to, to, to the Euros. By the time you listen, I don't know about the scheduling, by the time you're listening to this, you know, you, you could have Jack Grealish like running around Trafalgar Square on like an electric scooter <laughs> with, with uh, the Henry Delaunay trophy over his head. But I, I think... Th- there are a few things here that show that while Denmark weren't the favourites, there was definitely a route to them doing something mm. in this tournament, despite the fact, Marcus, that they were dropped in this deadly difficult group mm. between England, France and Sweden. Yeah. Well, I think that that's it, that when people often talk about Denmark in 92 and obviously in Greece in 2004 – on the mere fact that Denmark didn't qualify, you know, they were unlikely winners. But Greece was perhaps, mm. I mean, it's, it, there's no need to compare the two, of course. But Greece, I would say, was probably a bigger underdog story. Because once Denmark are there, as you say, that, you know, they, 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 they had a decent side. And they were only just pipped by a very good Yugoslavia team. You know, Yugoslavia two years earlier at the World Cup beaten on penalties by Argentina in the quarterfinal. Uh, Red Star Belgrade, who provided a lot of the players, had won the European Cup. They're an unbelievable side. Unbelievable. In in, in pure sort of footballing terms, it's a shame for them that they never got to um, play at that tournament because it would have been interesting to see what they they could have done, Mm. although they had lost players because of the political uh, and, well, it's not just political, it was far bigger than that, sadly. But the situation in... in, um, in the former Yugoslavia, Slavisa Jukanovic actually was was in the squad, and 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 he was interviewed by Sid Lowe last year, and he spoke about that and just said what a shame it was. They were in Sweden, the host nation Yugoslavia at the time, mm. preparing for the tournament, and they had to go home. You know, and again, in just just looking at the footballing side of it, how how devastating that would have been for for those players, of course. But Euro '92, you know, it was an 18 tournament, so it was the real cream of the crop. In Europe, I know that there's some people bemoan the fact it's now 24 teams. Some people don't. Some people do, and actually 16 teams. And I think 16 teams is a better tournament than eight teams, of course. But the eight teams, it was seven. Agreed. Yeah, it was seven groups with only the top side going through, and of course the host nation that was Sweden in this um, particular tournament. Um, so, so you had, uh, I mean, incredibly, Scotland topped their group with Switzerland, Romania, Bulgaria, and San Marino. Bearing in mind Switzerland, Romania, and Bulgaria. Um, and in particular, the latter all went to the got to the knockouts in USA '94. So a remarkable achievement for them. But Scotland were through, along with, um, as I said, you know, Sweden, obviously the host, but England, France, uh, uh, Germany, the the, the Netherlands, uh, and uh, maybe one or two others I've missed out there. But but you say Denmark, you know, they were in the group with Sweden, France, uh, and England, and of course England, you know, reached the semis in the World Cup in in 1990. Um, and I, with Denmark, I suppose, yes, they were still playing a bit of football, but the preparation for the teams that they were facing in the Euros, of course, was short, Andy. And mm. and and so they did play a sort of a defensive counter-attacking style. But to be honest, that's, as I understand it, Nielsen kind of played in a way that was pragmatic. And that's why Michael and Brian Laudrup had fallen out 
with him over the playing style. Yes, Michael Aldrich was exactly. Michael Aldrich was one of the best players in the world. You could say um, he was a phenomenal yeah. player, absolutely phenomenal player. You think of the Denmark side in '86 who won all their group games and then surprisingly were beaten by Spain five-one in the knockouts, which was a bit of a shock. Mm. They went out in the first round at Euro '88, which again would have been a disappointment for them. So I don't think they were in 1990. So getting you know in 1992 in the qualifying campaign, perhaps he he wanted to to express himself and hopefully thus the team, but they'd fallen out with the manager and, 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 and he wasn't there. But some say in hindsight that played in Denmark's favour because of the situation. Michael Laudrup perhaps didn't fit into that system, even though it seemed sacrilegious to not put him in the team because, as I say, he's one of the best players in the world. Yeah, as you say, it was an ideological fallout. And um, it was notable that both the Laudrup brothers went at, at the same time. But I think it does go back, as you say, to Euro 84 and World Cup 86. You know, mm. Danish dynamite was coined for a reason. <laughs> you know, people were incredibly excited about that Denmark team. And then it felt as if uh, Muller Nielsen's ideas drifted from that a little bit. I think you have to say the squad's probably not quite as good as well. Mm. That's that's a difference as as, as well, um, but he clearly had a plan for how he wanted to approach things that philosophically was a, a little bit grating for for some of those other players. But I think as well, you look two games into the group, and you have the goalless draw with England, who well didn't have a great tournament, mm. and then you have the defeat to Sweden. The hardest game on paper mm. is France, and that is saved to the end. And you think they're going home, yeah, basically. And um, I think you listen to what the Danish players have, have, have said about that since. And Brian Laudrup was saying, "Well, you know, we we had we had nothing to lose really, but we weren't expected to." To get anywhere, everyone was expecting to to go home mm. after after this one, and and they did play in a slightly more pugnacious way than they played in the first two group games because there was a sense of it being all or nothing. And you know, as they hadn't qualified, they were kind of playing with house money as as, as well. Now, one of one of the uh, really sad, actually undercurrents of this was the the personal situation mm. of uh, Kim Vilfort, mm. their, their attacker, who um, at the time, his uh, seven-year-old daughter was uh, suffering from leukemia. He'd, after discussions with his family, come out to the championship, but her condition worsened. So he, he went back and um, missed the, the, the France game. And he was expecting to to stay in in Denmark really really after that um now Henrik Larsen stepped in not that one L A R S E N and uh he got the opener um Lars Elstrup who mm. p- played quite memorably I thought for Luton Town came on and and, and scored the winner in in that later on mm. and they won 2-1 and they go through to the semi-final to face the reigning European champions who are of course the Netherlands and if, you, if the French team had some recognisable names in it, well, the D- Dutch side, Van Brooklyn in goal, Koeman, uh, Wouters, Rijkaard, Burkamp, Hullet, De Boer, Van Basten, a tasty Dutch side, Andy, I think it's fair to say. And It really was, and a Dutch side that were really keen to make up for 
everything that went horribly wrong in, mm. in 1990. Because at the World Cup, they went into that and, and people thought they had a genuine crack at winning mm. it. And um, obviously it all fell apart against uh, West Germany in that infamous game mm. with uh, uh, Fuller, Reichardt. I can't call it a spat. Can I? I can call it a spat, <laughs> I suppose. Or even, even though no spitting was actually done by, by poor old Rudy. Yeah. Um, but... You know, it was such a tame way for the mm. the Netherlands to, to to go out, and you know, obviously a lot of Dutch supporters were disappointed by that, and a lot of neutrals as well. So they really wanted to make up for that at the European Championship. Well, well absolutely, and of course, um, the day before this game, Germany had beaten Sweden three two. So the Dutch would have thought to themselves, right, we'll have them in the final. Um, yes, but of course that that wasn't to be, and you know, Denmark they 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 go ahead again, uh, you know, Larsen, uh, that man scoring after five minutes. And I think that these early goals actually, you know, again, you know, you can, you can, you can shape the narrative with hindsight. I understand that. But, you know, it's a tired Danish side who are playing against, on paper at least, superior opposition. But you get an early goal, and my goodness, there's nothing like it to, to get yourselves up for it and, and get yourselves going. And and according to the likes of Laudrup, when they when they spoke about this years later, they said, you know, those are the, some of those early goals they, they they really did help. Although I would say that the Burkamp equaliser for for the Netherlands was featured a very rare error from Schmeichel in goal. It wasn't a shocking error, but it would be one that he it, it bounced just it bounced just before it got got to him, didn't it? Yeah, and it, it's one of those ones that looks bad but I'm not really sure what he could have done differently yeah I mean he was imperious throughout that tournament and would be in the final two but either way um, the Danes got themselves again uh, in front 2-1 and and Laudrup said years after that that when Rijkaard equalised with a few minutes from time he thought ah that might just be it and they thought okay I think you know subconsciously or even consciously they're thinking if we can hang on for penalties We've got Schmeichel in goal and we've got a chance. Exactly, exactly. And the, the way that Laudrup told it was, uh, you know, it's that feeling of, oh my God, not just we're not going to win, but we're going to have to play extra time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think maybe he's superimposing his feelings mm. onto, the, onto the team to an extent because, you know, of that lack of match practice. Mm-hmm. But I, I think throughout that, and we'll get to the penalty shootout in, in a minute and Schmeichel's huge contribution in that. But I think when you look at the spirit of the team and when you look at the togetherness of the team, we've, we've talked about it loads of times before Marcus, you and I about how in international football, one of the, the best things you can do is get working parts from club sides and transplant them into your national team because you have so little time to work Mm. together comparatively. And, something that's been talked about again and again in Denmark as they've tried to find an explanation for this incredible tournament is the fact that um, 10 of those players were either at Bromby or had been at Bromby. Mm. And so many of them were part of the team that got to the UEFA Cup semi-final the year before in, in, in 1991. And they were, what, within a whisker of the final until that man, Rudy Fuller, scored um, a late, late winner in Rome. Um, when Bromby were all set to go through on away goals and play Inter in the final. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they had not just experience of each other, um, but experience of of, of major tournaments together. And I'm I'm sure that added something to it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, So they get to penalties, of course, and... 
they score all five of theirs and the Dutch score four out of five with Van Basten being the unlikely man to miss, although it's more of a good save from Schmeichel. And what was incredible about that save? It's an amazing save. Well, what's incredible about it is when you first look at it, you think, oh, as Van Basten put it sort of between the middle and the post of the goal. You know, one of those penalties where you've tried to side foot it into the corner, but it's it's not gone quite the way you'd want. And it was very sort of a comfortable save from the keeper but actually okay it might not have been perfectly into the corner but it was on its way for the corner and because of Schmeichel's leap and size he's not actually at full stretch when he saves it no and it's one of those Schmeichel saves and there's a lot of them in the final with Germany Mm. where his size really comes (laughs) into it as, as as you say you know that feeling Peter Schmeichel at his best, where you feel he's he's filling the goal yes. almost. It's almost like a gorilla, uh, um, you know, with his, just the size and the presence, and you and you just think, how on earth are we going to get past this guy? And his his technique is is part of that feeling. Mm. You know, his is quite unorthodox way of saving some shots mm. and of of making himself bigger. Um, that's all part of it. But you know, at this point, uh, Schmeichel had only just completed his first season with. Manchester United. So he wasn't quite the legend mm. that he became yet. What was clear is that he was going to become one of one of the best goalkeepers in Europe. Mm. We just didn't know how good he would be. Yeah. But, you know, there, there are enough clues in retrospect in this tournament. Yeah, absolutely right. So they go through to the final and we, we, we go back to what you, you mentioned earlier about Kim Vilfort, who... It seems, you know, he kept going back to Copenhagen to be with his um, seven-year-old daughter, who, as you say, had, had leukemia and, and his wife. And she'd taken a turn for the worst, sadly. Um, and he he thought, right, I, I'm staying. And it was his family, it was his daughter and his wife said, no, you, you've got to keep going back to the tournament. So after the semi-final, he goes back to Copenhagen and his daughter persuades him to go and play the final which meant he, you know, goes back there and, and, and joins up with the squad again. Uh, and uh, and all the players, all the Danish players are saying, you know, they're knackered. They, they think, come on, have we come as far as we can? I mean, in terms of matches played, of course, that's the case. But, you know, can we go on and win this now? Mm. And and Germany would have, would have thought to themselves, flipping egg, a final against Denmark. Thanks very much. You know, this is a very, very good German side. They were world champions. Well, I suppose technically West Germany were the world champions. This was a unified German side, which was a, 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 an interesting story in itself, of course. Um, and, you know, they had phenomenal players, all the household names and and whatnot. But again, um, we see the game begins. Uh, Germany are very much on the front foot. Schmeichel's making saves. And although it's not a, a, a sort of an early goal, it's it's only 18 minutes, 19 minutes on the clock when Denmark score through the most seemingly unlikely of sources with John Jensen, who I mean, some described his shooting as quite laughable. I mean, he famously only scored, I think, one goal at the, his whole time at Arsenal. I think this was his only goal mm. for Denmark, uh, if my if my memory's correct there. But they go one up and, and it's on, Andy. They're on the march again. Yeah, and even though it's an unlikely goal, it comes from a very likely source because mm-hmm. if you I look should at point out by the most... way, he scored three goals for Denmark, sorry. But but all, who remembers the other the... two, quite frankly? <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> this was the one. Yeah. I think you look at how they created that goal, and every time Denmark created danger in this tournament, 
is from the wide areas. That's something that yeah. they manage to do all the time. And, um, you know, they've got two really good fullbacks in uh, Sieverbeck, John Sieverbeck and um, Kim Christofter as mm. well. And the ball comes in from the right and Germany are caught a little bit back on their heels is pulled towards the edge of the box. And Jensen almost has to reach behind himself mm. to, to, to get the shot off. So it's a really tremendous goal on its own. But when you look at the player who scored it, when you look at the position that he scored it from, that he was kind of having to reach back as well, it makes it even better. He gets an incredible contact on it. Mm. And, the the look on Bodo Ogner is just what happened there. Yeah, it's it's just such a shock to Germany in every conceivable way. Mm. It's, it's, it's an absolute beauty. And Denmark. One thing we have to say about this Danish side is, it's fair to say that um, that that they exploited the um, that the, the, they loved a back pass to the goalkeeper. The back pass rule hadn't come in at this point. Um, and the final of Euro 92, I think, was the last competitive game before the law came in. The time-wasting that went on in that final, it was ridiculous. You can watch a YouTube video of, of Denmark just knocking it back to Schmarcher. There's a point where they have a free kick on the halfway line, and he turns around and just punts it all the way back to Schmarcher. I mean, he's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it's within the rules, and don't get me wrong, it was great to see Denmark win that game, but that is something that they uh, did exploit. They are not the only team who exploited that of course. in football history. Of course. I have to, I have to underline. And also, an, another of the, the great myths of uh, international football is that the rule was brought in in response no, to Denmark no, no, passing no. it backloads in the tournament, which is nonsense yeah, yeah, because yeah. we already knew it was it was coming in for the start of the 92-93 season. Mm-hmm. It's funny, actually. I think if you go a little bit forward from this tournament and start watching football at the start of 92-93 uh, and see how teams try to cope with oh, that yeah. initially – goalkeepers, mm-hmm. fullbacks, sending it back to the goalkeeper or getting themselves in a pickle when they can't decide what to do. It's it's interesting. It's really interesting. It is, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, um, on 78 minutes, Kim Vilfort breaks forward. A little bit of a suspicion of handball, but we don't care. And um, he slots into the corner and wins the game. And It's a brilliant finish in, in off the inside of uh, the left-hand post of Ilgner. Yeah, and it was great that that his family and his daughter got to see him got to see him score in, in the most important game of his life because very sadly a few weeks after the tournament his daughter died actually um so mm. it, you know it's sort of a i would imagine that tournament is quite a bittersweet thing for for him because it's the greatest triumph of his football and career but of course such a great tragedy what happened to him um in, in his personal yeah. life um but Denmark win the game 2-0 and you know it's just amazing scenes of celebration and Again, who would have predicted that at the start of the tournament? Just well, you even when the, even when they caught. I mean, talking about of course when they were, when they were in, you couldn't you couldn't have caught, uh, predicted it when they were not even um, not even on the uh, on on the list of teams at the tournament. You know, absolutely, and that that's that's football and its surprises, really, mm-hmm. isn't it? Because I guess it's the same that if you look back at. I don't know, certain Champions League winners, for example, you look at um, Liverpool in 2005 mm. or Chelsea in in, in, in 2012, a, a team that 
consistently threatens to win a trophy or go deep in a trophy mm-hmm. and one of their weaker teams ends up winning it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's, it's the magic of cup football in, in, in so many ways. Now, this wasn't a, a bad Denmark team mm-hmm. at all. I won't have that for a minute. But, you know, if you'd have said around 84 or 86, yes, Denmark could break through and win a tournament, you'd think, yeah, okay, you can sell that to me. Mm. This one is just completely out of left field, even if there are some good reasons why they did win it. Absolutely should point out that they did go on to win what we now call the confederations cup in 1995 back then it was oddly organized and held in saudi arabia and called the king fahad cup featuring the saudis themselves and the continental cup winners which in that tournament were japan argentina mexico and nigeria they beat argentina in the final incidentally so they did win another cup that we sometimes forget about and we might think ah really but you've you've got to win a cup to get into that cup um, exactly, and uh, Michael Laudrup had learned his lesson, and he did play, and he scored in the final. So at least he won a trophy when he was playing for Denmark. Um, but uh, but there we are, Andy. Pleasure talking to you about uh, this uh, this incredible Denmark side at Euro '92, um, one that we'll never forget. As always, thank you. <laughs> a pleasure, everybody, and we'll see you next week for another team of our life. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.